You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. You know, it really is all about the next generation. So much of what, where Israel went wrong, especially in the wilderness, was they weren't thinking about the next generation. They weren't thinking about where the where they were going as a people. We always have to be in, keep in mind and be mindful of where we are going, not, not only where we have been, but where we're going. And ask the question on a regular basis, is what I'm doing now preparing future generations for taking over? Because whether you like it or not, they're going to take over. So we shouldn't look at the young people as as the hope for the future, they're the hope for our present. We have to be dealing with them right now. They're not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today in, in development. Amen. Amen. And that's why everything seems to start with the next generation in mind. I don't know how to explain it other than just to say that's what Christmas is all about. God didn't send us a, a full-blown full grown-up to save us. He sent us a baby. Can I have a better amen? He sent us a baby. Sent us a baby. What's a baby going to do? Well, he's going to grow up. But he's going to have influences. He's going to be born of God. Amen. Teach us that we need to be born of God. And when uh, God sends a baby, he's got something in mind. Hallelujah. He, he has something in mind. When the father sends, a, sends his son, he's got something in mind. He's got a, he's got a future in mind. And they announced it to Mary. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. I want to talk to you about this idea that Christmas is a message of faith for all people. Christmas is a message of faith for all people. It may not sound like a Christmas message by the time we get to the end of this. But I want to start there, if I may. And let you see what happens and what happened on that wonderful day. You know the angels came, I bring you glad tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Right? Amen. Glad tidings, great news, meaning the gospel. That's just another term for the gospel. I bring you the gospel which shall be for, so the gospel began, not the gospel that we know, but it began there. The gospel of the kingdom started with the announcement that Jesus had come. This is the gospel of the kingdom, that the king has been born. Remember, the first king of Rome, the first emperor of Rome was a guy named Augustus. And it was in the days of Caesar Augustus that Jesus was born. So while, while man and their man-made governments had raised up their first emperor, God brought his first emperor to bear on planet earth. Hallelujah. The days of Caesar Augustus, the first emperor, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the king of the Jews and the king of Almighty God, for Almighty God, was, was presented to man. It was news. It was news. It was good news for a change. I, I remember years ago, before we read, I uh, was pastoring a church in West Texas and we had a Christian school. And uh, I often went over to the Christian school to make an appearance because the teachers asked me to. It was in the building next to my office. 
the teachers would ask me, Pastor John, would you come in? I said, if you just come in and walk through the classrooms, it's amazing how we have 30 minutes to an hour, at least 30 minutes of peace in the room because they never know when you're going to walk back in. Be sure and wear that coat and tie. There's something about that authority structure, you know, that, that authority presence that causes children just to calm. So I would go over, and it was an ACE school. I'm not sure if you know what that means, but it, the children learned at their own pace, and they had these little cubes, these little cubicles they sat in with their back to the teacher facing the wall, and that's how they all learned. They had these dividers between them. And if they had a question... They would take a little flag and put it up on the, up on their the, the divider wall. It had a hole there to stick a little flag up. That meant they needed attention. They needed a question answered or something. So the teacher, the monitor would come by, take the tag flag down, and answer their questions. So I was in there one day making my usual rounds, and I, you know, I, st I spent more time in the second grade classroom. Now, did any others? We had ours divided up because it was large enough to divide it up into various classrooms. And uh, I was walking through there, through the second grader classroom. Second and third were together, actually. And uh, because I, I found out that I was really pretty good at second grade work. <laughs> if they asked a question, I knew I could answer it. Get up there in the eighth and ninth grade, I wasn't sure if I could answer those or not. With a theological doctorate, you know. Wasn't all that sure that my eighth grade science was intact. But this little, this little flag went up, and I went back there, and there's a little girl named Tiffany. And I said, Tiffany, can I answer your question? Just so she had a little work there, and I answered it quickly. As I said, I'm, I'm good at second grade work. Answered it quickly, and uh, I said, is there anything else, baby? She said, yeah. Now, this little girl didn't go to our church, but she was in our school. She looked up at me like this with tears brimming in her eyes. She said, pray for my mommy and daddy. I said, what's the matter, baby? She said, they're getting a divorce. And I knew they were Christians. And I said, oh, girl, that's, that's not right. She said, no, it's not right. She's eight years old, seven, or seven years old, I guess. I said, no, that's not right. No, it's not right. So I knelt down there beside her, and I took her by the hand. She turned around there, and we prayed together. We prayed in Jesus' name and we asked the Lord to put a stop to that. I don't know how you would pray, but that's how we prayed. We asked the Lord to put a stop. Not, not that there's not reasons for divorce sometimes, but I'm just saying, I just knew this wasn't right. And I said, Lord, Lord, I ask you to bring them back together, cause them to drop their suits and come back together and, you know, make this, make this marriage work for this child's sake and the family's sake and their, you know, their testimony's sake. And we prayed in Jesus' name, believe God. And she wiped her tears, and she was happy, and I left. I don't know, two weeks later, a month later, sometime later, the principal walked into my office. He said, did you hear about Tiffany's parents? She, he called their names. I said, yeah, I did. He said, well, there's good news. I said, what happened? He said, they've canceled their divorce suit, and they're back in church, and they're going to counseling with their pastor. They're back together. I said, that's awesome. That's a, I've got to go talk to Tiffany because we prayed. I jumped up out of my desk, you know, and ran out and burst out of my uh, 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 office and, uh, and tore into that classroom and said, I need to see Tiffany. She said, she's right in there. I slid down there to where Tiffany was. I said, Tiffany, Tiffany, I just heard the news. And she said, what? I said, I just heard the news. What about? I said, about your parents. 
that, that they're, not, they're not getting a divorce. That she said, oh, yes, it's so wonderful. And we rejoiced for a minute. And, she, and then she stopped and she said, that was on the news? <laughs> I mean, news was a big deal to her, you know, but she didn't think everybody. <laughs> Amen. This is the biggest news. This is the biggest news that anyone's ever heard. That Mary's hearing that the, that, that the angels told the shepherds, but it was not on the news broadcast. It wasn't big news in, in Rome. It, this, this may not affect anybody, but God brought you here today because he has some news for you, amen. It might not be big news out there, but it's big news to you today, amen. It's gonna impact you in a strong way if you'll just hear this message. Christmas is a message of faith for all people. Luke chapter one, verse 34. The angel has already told Mary, that Jesus is coming, he's gonna come through her. Then Mary said unto the angel, verse 34, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Most of the time our question is not seeing I know not a man, our question is how shall this be since my credit is bad? <laughs> Am I in the right house? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, everybody said together, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Come on, tell somebody. With God nothing shall be impossible. And verse 38, and Mary said, behold, listen, listen, listen to what Mary's response to what the angel said. Now see, this is heaven's idea. Hear me, heaven's idea is that with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's what the angel said. So that's the message of heaven to you today. With God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. But you have a response. This is not just a Christmas message to us, it's a Christmas message about us. It's for us. And here it is. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. What you said, I will take as my own. Your word has now become my mandate. Your word has now become my promise. What's going on in heaven, what heaven believes, I will now act like I believe on planet earth. Glory to God. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Be it unto me. Yes. Brought you some good news today. Yes. The Christmas message is a message of faith for all people. Glory to God. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans 4, 17. Romans 4, 17. I promised my wife I was going to teach today, but I already started preaching. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I, God, have made thee, Abram, or Abraham, a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, who quickeneth the dead, and calls those things that be not, as though they were, who calls those things which be not as though they were.
calls those things that be not as though they were. Now listen, God never calls anything that isn't already in his heart and mind to be. So it exists in some level. When it says he calls those things that be not, that means be not in the natural. You do not yet see them. But God must see them in his heart and mind before he says it. So if they exist in him, then all it takes for him to see it out there is for him to say it. I'm preaching better than you're shouting because you know where this is going. All it took for God to see what he was seeing, see out there what he was seeing in his heart and mind was to say it. Light be, let there be light. We have no idea, we have no thought in the scriptures written that God ever bemoaned the fact that there was darkness. You never hear God saying, oh my, look how dark it is. Oh my, you know, you know, oh well a doctor said, oh well a banker said, oh well a teacher said, well you don't know where I come from, you don't know what my people are like, I'm just a dumb oaky. You never hear God doing that. Oh my goodness, look at that, it's dark. Oh, angels, what are we gonna do about all the darkness? Somebody ought to do something. No, no, no. Oh, I pleaded, I pleaded, I tried, I tried to make it. No, 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 no. Not about bemoaning what is, it's about talking about what you want. Light be, that's what he actually said in the Hebrew text. Light be. Our text says, let there be light. Romans 4, 17 says, he calls those things that be not. That means he talks about them in terms that makes people listening in think he's crazy. If religious people don't call you crazy once in a while, you're probably not doing this thing right. <laughs> Is this too deep? If they don't think you're crazy, something's wrong with your testimony because you ought to be talking about what, what you expect and not what you have all the time. Well, he just, that holler, he just walks around acting like there ain't nothing ever wrong. I never, I never say there's nothing ever wrong. Stuff's gonna happen. There's a devil out there in the world. I know that. But the more you acknowledge that, the more you'll have of that. We have to acknowledge that all, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Well, I'm getting old, you know, and stuff just happens when you get old. Really? It does if you let it. I refuse to get decrepit. I'm going to get old. I'm going to outlive every, one, every last one of my enemies. So in some sense, I'll say I have killed them all. Won every victory. <laughs> Amen. Don't mess with me. I'm going to outlive you. Hallelujah. And I'm going to wind up with your stuff. Amen. You've got to have an attitude of victory because the day you're born, in the natural, we're dying. In the natural, we're dying. And from the day you're born, right? You understand what we're saying? But you have to, you have to fight that with everything that's in you and live in victory. That's why we call ourselves healed when we don't feel healed. 
We talk about our victory, even though it looks like we're in defeat. Let me say to this to you. It is so the will of God for you to be healed. I'm convinced that the Lord is not concerned about how you get your healing. He just wants you healed. He wants your faith engaged. If it takes a pill to help you get healed, take the pill, sister. Take the pill, brother. Don't be silly and say, I'm not going to take the medicine because I'm standing in faith. Stand in faith while you take the pill, will you? I buried too many people who thought they were standing in faith and they died anyway because it just got goofy. Take the pill. Go see the doctor. Do whatever it takes for you to get well. It is God's will for you to be well. I hope you don't have to go to a doctor. I hope you don't have to take a pill. I'm going to stand in faith with you to believe God for it just to happen supernaturally. But if it's not happening, don't die with it. I don't like to preach funerals of people I love. Amen. Live long. Amen. Then you can attend the enemies, attend the funerals of your enemies. I told you. I told you so. Genesis chapter 17. Y'all don't mind if we have a little fun, do you? Is that all right? Genesis chapter 17. <laughs> I've never done that. I want you to know. I have, attended, I have attended a few of my enemies' funerals, but I've never told them I told you so. I did think it when I walked by the casket. I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. I didn't say it out loud. Genesis 17 verse 1. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Genesis 17, 1 says, And when Abram was 99 years old, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me. Next verse. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Wow. Oh, God. How is this dude going to be perfect? Walk before me. Be perfect. What, what does that mean? Let's read on. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. Not between thee and me. It's important how it's said in the ancient world. You may not know this. But in the Arab world and in the Israeli world and in the ancient world, oftentimes, especially in the, in the East, if they said, let's me, me and you go eat, he just told you he's paying for dinner. If he puts himself first in the thing, this is all his proposition. This covenant shall be between me and you. God is saying, I'm paying for your meal too, Abram. I'm going to do the whole thing. This is a secret. It's a secret not often known. When God gave his son, that's when this became fulfilled. This was not fulfilled when Abraham was circumcised later on in this same chapter. This part was fulfilled when God sent Jesus. So the covenant of the new, the new covenant is not based on what Abraham did. The new covenant is based on what Jesus and his father did. 
that God paid both sides. That, that impacts me so greatly just to say it, that God paid both sides of the covenant, that he blamed Jesus for what you did. He executed Jesus for what you did. He held him responsible for what you did. And God was making the covenant just he himself alone. He paid for both sides. The covenant's between me and thee, he said, not between you and him, between him and you means he paid for it all. And I will multiply thy, my, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly, he says to Abram. Verse three, and Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, verse four, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And the next verse is really remarkable. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Wow, this is remarkable. How many nations did Abraham have at the time? How many did he have? None. How many kids did he have? He had one illegitimate. He had a nothos that God wouldn't even acknowledge as his son. Remember? Chapter 22, when he tells him, take, take now your son, Isaac, your only son. Amen. What? Didn't you, don't, we talked about this other boy, Lord. Ishmael, we talked about him. You blessed, you said you blessed him. Now how come you, no, 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 he's not a son. He's a nothos. Don't make me say the word. <laughs> Look it up in the Greek yourself. <laughs> You missed my bastard sermon. You just you already missed it. <laughs> Israel said, I've never heard the word bastard so many times in church. <laughs> That's what the word means. That's what it is. The son, a certain kind of bastard, a son of a slave woman. Son of a slave woman. That's what Ishmael was. Nothos. Take now your son, your only son, he told him. I'm going to make my... When he's telling Abraham this, he doesn't even have that one son. But he says, I have made you. And this is exactly the tense of the verb in Hebrew. I made you. That's who you are now. You're going to call yourself Abraham. Can you imagine an old man pushing 100 years old, got a wife, pushing 90 years old. Women talk about the biological clock. Biological clock is ticking. I'm 32 and my biological clock is ticking. Can you imagine what Sarah's biological clock was sounding like? Like, ben, like Big Ben, you know, bong, bong. She's pushing 90 years old. This, this gal, she, you better get to hurrying on this baby-making thing. <laughs> Even the thought, you know, does your mind go there? I'm, I'm sorry, but the preacher's mind goes there. A 90-year-old man and an 80-year-old woman making a baby. <laughs> kind of makes you just want to quit right now and go take a shower. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I made you a father. Look at the next verse. 
and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. But notice he didn't say all that's going to happen before he said your name is now Abraham. This is going to happen if you'll call yourself Abraham, father of nations, not just father. Abram means father. Abraham means father of nations. And I'll make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Listen, the greatest problem with Christians today and the Christian church is that they have a mentality, and this is what they call themselves, sinners saved by grace. The reason why the church does not live in holiness, does not live in power, is because we have this identification that we're still sinners offensive to God, and we're only in here because he's winking at our sins. That's not the truth. He has dealt with our sins. He dealt with your sin at Calvary. And that Paul then could say squarely, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have an identification with sin anymore and failure. I have an identification with victory and joy and it flows through me like a river. Glory to God. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. See here, here's that seed again. Here's that promise of a child, the future coming. Call yourself Abram. No more. Call yourself Abraham. From now on. That's calling him what he wanted to have. Calling those things that be not as though they were. This is why in this church, we constantly talk about the promises of God. We constantly talk about the promises because I want your hearts and minds to be branded with that aspect of your covenant that the promises of God are yours. The promises of God are yours. You have been made the righteousness of God in him. You're not trying to get right. If you are trying to this day to get righteous before this church is out, you'll have an opportunity to get saved today. If you're trying to still be righteous instead of knowing that you have been made righteous by the gift of grace, I want to lead you to Jesus today because you can be, you can be made righteous once and for all and live in that victory forever. Come on, somebody else say amen. This is that's, that's some of the best news you've heard all day. Call those things that be not as though they were. I, I think about this. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I told this story, but I think about what it must have looked like from Eliezer's point of view. Y'all remember Eliezer, the ranch foreman? Cowboy Joe's here. You know what a ranch foreman is, don't you? Yeah. Ranch foreman, he, he's the guy that acts like the boss when the boss isn't there. He is the boss when the boss isn't there. He's the boss when the boss is there. If the boss is a good delegator. The foreman, the foreman runs that place. He runs that thing. And now Abraham's ranch was a mobile ranch. Kind of moved all over everywhere, you know. You had to. 
have to because the sheep are going to eat up all the grass in one spot and you've got to go someplace else, let it grow back, move them around. It's like you do herds of cattle. I can see Eleazar following this old man around, this old rich man around, who calls himself Abram, who calls himself father and has no kids. Now, you know Eliezer loved the man because they must have thought, well, he's a good guy. He's a strong guy. He's been in battle with him. I like this guy. He's, he's something. God's obviously blessing him. He's he just getting richer and richer and richer. He even goes to Egypt and gets rich. Comes out with silver cattle and gold, the Bible says. I'm not a lot concerned about how God makes me rich as long as he's got something to do with silver cattle and gold. He comes, out of, he comes out of Egypt, rich. Eliezer's with him. But I get this idea. If I were Eliezer, I would think, I wish my boss man had a regular name. I wish he wasn't called father with no children. That just makes him look crazy. Again, that just makes him look crazy. He introduces himself to this next guy. Says, "Hi, my name's Fa- my name's Abram. That means father, you know. You know what the next guy's going to say? Father, well, where are your children?" He pulls that ninety-year-old wife up next to him. Says, uh, "Well, me and the little missus hadn't started our family yet, yet, yet." That's family planning on steroids, if you ask me, right there. But you better get started. I can just see Eliezer hiding behind, you know, hiding behind the stuff, going, feeling all embarrassed, like a little kid pulls his mama's skirt over his face, you know, when he's embarrassed. Ugh, I just hate that name. I wish my boss man had a regular name, like Paul or John or George or Ringo, you know, something, something, <laughs> something normal. <laughs> Pardon me, I love rock and roll. I'm sorry. I wish he just had a regular name. Then this this day comes along. He's been meeting with God. He shows up back at the ranch. Eliezer says, hey, Mr. Boss Man, where have you been? I've been meeting with God. He spoke to me. He did. Well, what did he say? Well, he gave me a new name. Can you just see Eliezer going, I knew there was a God. I knew it. Hey, hey, fellas, come over here. The boss man's back and he's got a new name. This is exciting. Everybody's going, yahoo, yahoo. <laughs> they all show up. Hey, Mr. Boss Man, what's a new name? Well, you no longer call me Father Abraham or Abram. That's good. We love that. Oh, what's a new name? From now on, you call me Abraham, Father of Nations. You, you know, if you're like me, I see me in Eliezer, and I fainted right then. I just fainted face forward in the dirt. I could just see him out. You can imagine Abraham picks him up, sits him on a rock, wipes the dirt out of his eyes. Then he tells him what else he has to do to keep his job. <laughs> remember, you remember the, la- the last part of that was, every man among you has to be circumcised. I don't know how costly it was for you to come to church today. (laughs) It might have been hard for you to get here to church, but it was real hard for Eliezer to get to church that day. 
I can just see him coming to himself. Okay, let me get this straight. From now on, we don't call you father. From now on, we call you father of multitudes of nations. And then we're going to take our knives and we're going to do what with them? Say that one more time real slow like. We're going to do what with our knives? Because, you know, what man making up his own religion? I mean, if Abraham just went out there and he was, you know, he'd had bad pizza or something and he just made this all up. What man in making up his own religion comes up with something like that? Amen. How many of you men say that would never be in my religion? Come on, it would never be in my. I mean, we would we would hack off a finger or a piece of the ear or something, you know, like in Africa they got these scars on their foreheads, you know. Anything, but don't take a knife to me like that. Which which gives us some confidence. We know that Abraham did not make that up because no man would do that. Now, a woman might have come up with that religion, but there ain't no man going to come up with that religion. <laughs> hey, honey, I got a great idea. Let's start our own religion, you know. No man's coming up with that. That's why we know God spoke to him or he was a lunatic. Now, how many of you think that the father of the three largest religions in the world was a lunatic? No. Nobody believes Abraham was a lunatic. It had to be that God spoke to him. And it had far more purpose than, listen to me, it had far more purpose than hygienic. There might have been some hygiene issues with that. We don't know. Doctors, doctors are split on it, in fact. Scientists are split on that. Whether it's more hygienic to be circumcised than it is to not be circumcised, you get different, different opinions on that. That's not what it was about, primarily. What it was about was the future generations, this seed that we first read about that came to Mary. So that when his seed left his body, it would pass through a circular scar where blood had been shed for the covenant. Whoa. That's why they call them the holy people to this day, the nation of Israel. And why you're considered holy to this day because of your faith in the ultimate prize of that circumcision moment. The seed that left Abraham's body left through a circular scar like, 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 like I have on my hand. You can't see it, but you can still see my wedding ring, can't you, Miss Ann? You can still see my wedding ring. That's what the wedding ring is about, to depict covenant. And it leaves a mark if you wear it long enough. That's what this circumcision was about, to make a scar where blood had been shed for the sake of the covenant, to make the seed that left his body holy, glory to God, so that we could have Christmas. Amen. Amen. But even that, even that, he got circumcised, but something else had to happen. He had to start calling himself father of a multitude of nations. He started calling himself father of multitudes of nations. He started calling himself Abraham. Come on, come on. I am Abraham's seed. Let's say it, children of God, I am Abraham's seed. You're not just the seed of Abram. You are the seed of Abraham, that is the father of nations. And when he changed his name to that, he was thinking about you. 
he was thinking about you. And that's what he says in Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul said that we are all the children of Abraham by faith because of our faith in that seed that came from Abraham. Am I tying the story together for you? You getting the, the bigger picture of this? As the children of Abraham, you have a right then to talk like God talks. God had been calling him Abraham, had not changed his name, but God had been calling him father of multitudes of nations for 24 years. Abraham met God in 19, when he was 70, in 1976. He met God, <laughs> he met God when he was 76 years old. <laughs> he met God when he was 76 years old. And he was, he was nearly 100, or he says he was about 199 or 100 years old when the boy was born. So God had been saying it for 23 or 24 years and nothing happened. Say it with your own mouth, nothing happened. Just because God has said it and put it in this book doesn't mean it's going to happen. God said it a long time ago. A lot of this he said it, he said about you a long time ago and nothing's gonna happen because he said it. He has to say it first, but it's only gonna happen that you'll see it when you start saying it. You have to say, I am the righteousness. It's not, enough, it's not enough that God says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's only enough that you say it and believe it. You see what I'm saying? That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Your confession is what makes everything happen for you. This righteousness that is on the inside of you, you work that out with a confession of faith by saying it. 24 years God had been saying it and nothing happened. Three months with Abraham saying it. And Sarah conceived and had that baby. One year later, that baby was born after he changed his name and it started coming out of his mouth. I am father of multitudes of nations. I am father of multitudes of nations. Did he have, father, did he have multitudes of nations when, when that baby was born? No, he just had one baby. But it was started. It was started. Let me say this to you about your confession. You need to confess a little bigger than what you want. Confess bigger than what you want. I don't confess that I'm healed. I confess that I'll never be sick another day in my life. Amen. Amen. That's my confession. I'm sticking to it. I don't confess that my bills get paid. I confess that I'll never live another day broke. I'll never have another day of lack. You confess big. Confess big. Confess the promises as big as they are. Get it in your mouth. It's going to start with a seed. It's going to start small, but it's, it's going to start. Can I have a good amen? You hear this? Amen. You've got to say it bigger than you feel it. You've got to talk it bigger than you can imagine it. Three months later, they had that baby. Isaac was born. Mary stood there and said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you say, I believe and I receive. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Now, Father, I thank you for these, your people today. I thank you for this Christmas time and what it means for us. We hear the message of the angel that a Savior is born. 
But that's not the full gospel that he was born. We lean on the revelation that you gave the Apostle Paul that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We joy in this moment that he was born, but we glory in the moment that he died and rose again. We joy for Christmas, but we glory in Easter. We thank you. And I'm asking you now for revelation for everyone here today who's heard the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom and the king and the gospel of grace, how Christ took our sins away. Thank you, Lord, for this moment. With your heads bowed, I'll ask you, if you're here today and you say, I need, I need this Savior in my life. I need to know Jesus as my personal Savior. Would you lift a hand and say, preacher, just pray for me. If you say, I need to know Jesus as my personal Savior, I want to be saved today. Lift a hand. There you are. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray this prayer together, everyone together. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I want to make my confession that I believe the gospel. Christ died for my sins. That he was buried and he rose again the third day. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. I believe in you. I believe the gospel. And I believe that your promise is true. That when you come in, you make me brand new. And I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. And I will never be the same. And I thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. <laughs>